And so the best of human intellect is not wicked. The best of human discovery is not contrary to God. It's an expression of being imaged and made in God's image. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, y'all. Welcome once again to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. Um, Today's a a fun episode. Uh, As always, I've got our, well, they're all fun episodes, but today we've got, again, my co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Hector. Hey, and today we've got our first returning guest. Hey, Doug. Wow. I was wondering. It's kind of a milestone, you know, like on a podcast, like you get a return guest and and you know it, it changes the i think internally for me at least maybe maybe sarah you've got other markers but for me it's like oh someone was willing to come on the show and then come back they enjoyed their time enough to come back and yeah. uh, so thank you for being with us doug we're, we're looking forward to uh to having you back on i you the reason i came back on is the alliteration for this podcast is amazing pocket pulpit podcast if you put peter piper before that then i truly would have been on every week so peter good to be back piper <laughs> pocket pulpit pop, a pocket podcast, pulpit yeah. podcast have, to preach about the alliteration in your first the first time you came around I don't oh know did i well there you go that's why you have me back because it's kind of interesting content you're a pastor and you're a podcaster and you're a parent and you're a partner and you're from Puget Sound and you had posting peace. And you were like, I don't use alliteration in my sermon. Like, oh, right cool. back at you. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that went great. I worked really hard to come up with that whole list of themes, but that's yeah. not your vibe. But we're, you're on the pocket pulpit. So too bad. It's all the letter P, whether you like it or not. No, it's great. Good to be yeah. back yeah that's awesome so Um, so good can we run back through will you tell us what your what platforms you're on and your preferred platform uh well you know my preferred platform is twitter i'm just on twitter way too much and then like many of us were like well i guess i should also be on facebook and i guess i should be on instagram and i guess i should be on pinterest but uh, you can find me a lot of places but if you want to find me posting Probably on Twitter. I also have Doug Bursch is fairly spiritual on Facebook, but I, like many other people, struggle with being on Facebook sometimes because it's mm-hmm. just, you know, when they war against you on Twitter, it's just a few words mm-hmm. on Facebook. It's an entire treatise. So I, mm. I just, I want insults to be short and pithy instead of long diatribes. So yes. So for P for posting is Twitter for your P for platform. Excellent. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you can, you can find my handle is fairly spiritual and fairly spiritual.org sends you in all sorts of directions of stuff I create. Excellent. 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 Awesome. Well, Hey, before we, we get into the show, I just uh, want to make sure people know, Doug, your, your episode was also featured on, we, we did the takeover for the digital church network. We're, we're now part of the digital church podcast network. And uh, we wanted to highlight your show. Um, and so, uh, you know, you can hear Sarah and I talk a little bit about that uh, on that episode. So uh, listen to this episode, maybe go back and listen to that one on the, the church digital. It's kind of like a behind the scenes, you know, there's a little bit of conversation around, around that episode. And so, um, anyway, Doug, we, we love you. We, I'm looking forward to this, this conversation. Me too. And congratulations on being on the, what, what's it called again? Digital church, the digital church 
podcast network or the church nice. digital. Sorry, let me get that right. I'm going to, I'm going to have to Jeff. I'm so sorry. Uh, the church digital podcast network. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Now we're off of it apparently. So that, <laughs> that reminds, that reminds me, uh, I, when I was in radio, I, part of some uh, tie-in thing was I had to introduce Mark Driscoll uh, as part of the radio ad buy. And it was some sort of conference or something. And I couldn't remember the name of the conference. And I got in his church in front of all these people and said it wrong, said the name of the conference wrong and had him from the front row yell up at me. That's wrong. And then tell me the right <laughs> thing. So uh, yeah, once oh. I get it wrong in my head, I get it wrong in my head. Well, we're not, um, we've said this before and we stand by it. We're not P for professionals. We're just yeah. trying stuff. So we make mistakes and we're fine with it. You're going to stick with that P thing this whole thing. Oh, is that what you're doing? Okay. You better right. believe it. All right. Well, when we had you on the first time, we talked about your book, Posting Peace. And I do want to give like a, a minute or two just to, to touch back. And um, because it is such, it is such a good book. Mm -hmm. It is such a good book. If, if you are listening and you have not read that and you want to know why social media divides us and you want to, and you want to know if we can even do anything about it or what we can do about it. Um, you should read this book. It is an easy read and a good read and a like, just, um, it is, it is deep, deep, mm. good stuff. Wow. I just want you to talk about it. Why should I even say anything? That is awesome. Uh, by the way, there's an audio version as well. So yes. you can listen to my voice instead. And uh, I heard it soothes your, your pets as well. So if you, oh. <laughs> I diggity. If you go you to work, an, yeah, you can just leave hamster. it for your pets. You can just play it for the... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Hamsters hate it. But oh. uh, cats and dogs, they love it. Fish. Yeah. It's a bestseller in my mom's house, and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get people to buy it. I think it's good. It's hard to get people to buy a book in a saturated market, but uh, good feedback. And yeah, the basic idea is not to make people feel bad about social media or to say we all need to leave it and become Amish 2.0. It's just basically, okay, we know it's dividing us. We know it's polarizing. How do we recognize why? So I look a lot at the technology. We're not just terrible people and they were good people in the olden days and we're bad people today. No, it's the technology is, is dividing us. How to recognize that, then recognize as Christians, who are we supposed to be in any environment and how can we be reconciling and peacemaking? But importantly, it's not just to avoid conflict. Uh, we we got to cause some conflict, but we want to cause it for the right reasons. Uh, justice mm. demands conflict, but I want to make sure the motivation, am I just trying to be right or am I trying to be reconciling? Am I trying to just have my opinions heard, or do I actually want people to come closer to God and for us to become closer together? So that's the main premise of the book. Well, we love it. Speaking of the letter P, our favorite letter, we are going to talk today about pastoring pastors, which we have seen you doing, and not just pastors, but leaders in general. You don't have to have the title, thankfully, you know, because you have spoken into my life and I don't have the title of pastor. But before we start talking about that, you know, we want to be able, I want to be able to talk about some of the the hard stuff that is involved in ministry. Um, if if you're listening to this and you don't know me, I work in full-time ministry. My my um title is director, but I am a licensed 
in my state and pursuing ordination. Um, and I want to be able to kind of speak vulnerably about some of my experiences, but I want, I want to be abundantly clear. Hector, Doug, you can, you can, I think I speak for all of us. We love our churches. We love our churches. And I know I want it to be abundantly clear from, from the outset that I love my people and I love the pastors that I work with. I, I believe in the mission and the vision of my church. Well, I, you know, you're hitting that though. This is one of the reasons it's hard to help pastors, especially even in social media. It's hard to talk about those things, our struggles, our hurts, our pains, because we're also not wanting to hurt the people that we're ministering with. And often, if even if I share the most, you know, I'm hurting because I've had some struggles in our church. I share that and someone in the church is like, well, what's going on, pastor? What's wrong? And it actually, we have to then pastor them as we're trying to get help ourselves. And yeah. so there's a tendency just to really not have any place to take that. So those qualifiers we present, because the issue is we're also pastoring people that we don't want to hurt them, as we might talk about our own hurts. And that is a challenge when it comes to ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And and so while we go through this, if you are if you are listening and you know us and you know our people, like here that we love you and yeah. and we believe in the local church and we believe we believe in the mission and the visions that we're partnered with. I could say that a million times because I absolutely am on board. But like like Doug said, ministry is hard. It's hard. And it's hard, it can be hard to be vulnerable about that. But I want us to be able to speak as honestly and openly as as we can so that hopefully others, you know, can find some comfort and encouragement. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think part of it is, you know, the reality is is, is as leaders. You know, if we're not honest about some of this stuff, like, then are we, are we actually leading in the truest sense of, of what it means to, to lead and pastor people and shepherd? Uh, one of the, the things that I keep coming back to kind of just around social media and around conversation and discourse is, you know, scripture says that the Lord's looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. And if we present false realities whether that's our own we don't come to him come to to worship with people we don't create those spaces or we misrepresent others in trying to validate our the the way that we want to go about life or, or ministry or what is right and true then are we worshiping in spirit and truth and so i think part of that is like if, if we're going to explore social media ministry on the show and, and we want to talk about pastoring. I think that it's important for us to, to be able to say, hey, there is a reality of what it is meant, what it means to pastor, and especially what it means to pastor now, and then how social media ties mm. into some of that. And so, yeah. Well, well, I've been pastoring the same church for about 23 years, might be 24. Mm. And uh, one of the struggles, when people really struggle with mental health, often it's that more than one area of their life is being attacked. And this is not just with pastors, this is just life, right? So work is a struggle, but also, let's say, uh, the marriage is a struggle. And when more than two or three areas of someone's life is in crisis, and there's no safe place, you know, there's no place to just kind of rest and recoup, then it really affects your mental health. It's almost that kind of concept of PTSD, where 
there's no safe place. So I'm always on alert. I'm always struggling. Mm. I, and we need that. Well, one of the strengths of pastoring is our lives are kind of all tied together. And this is also one of the profound weaknesses of pastoring. So my work and my faith are tied together. That can be incredibly uplifting, but it's very difficult when you're experiencing pain because you have nowhere to go. So what do many people do when work is terrible? You go to church, you tell someone about how terrible work has been. They pray with you. You find some re release, some relief. Well, as a pastor, my work is the church. And so if I'm struggling with work, it's hard to, how do I bring that into the body of Christ and even family and relational because I can go to work, but I don't bring my wife to say if I work at uh, Safeway or if I work as a plumber, or as a doctor, but my wife and I go to the church together. So if we're struggling in our marriage, there, it's all tied together. This is the strength and the weakness. So many pastors aren't talking about what's going on, not because they're trying to be duplicitous or not honest, but the risk is so great, right? Because you're already hurting. And now if I share these hurts, it might just implode everything. Now I got conflict in the church, conflict at home, you know, conflict at work, right? So that's why it's a unique calling. And unless you've done it, you guys know this, but unless you've done it, you don't really understand that. There's a reason sometimes the pastor isn't telling you completely what's going on in their life, because it might be about the person next to you. And they're trying to keep a confidentiality that that person has been hurting them, speaking poorly of them. And making their life just miserable. But if they share that in this context, now it creates a whole level of crisis that they have to pastor, which they don't have enough mental health to do because they're barely making it as it is. Yeah. Last At the end of last year, Barna came out with this report about how many pastors are, have considered quitting full-time ministry. And so when they, I know I've heard people talking about this, but if you haven't heard it, like it's happening. They're, they're considering it. it. In January of 2021, when they asked, have you given real serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the last year? In January 2021, 29% said yes. And in October of 2021, 38% said yes. And, and when they divided up further than that, it showed that in the age group of 45 and under, the number is as high as 46% of pastors. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's alarmingly high. And that's a big jump from 29 to 38 in a matter of 10 months is, yeah. is a big jump. So we know the numbers, like I've heard people talk about it. The numbers are there. Doug, what do you see? What are you seeing mm. when you look out? Well, uh, one of the issues, we're seeing this in all service industries. I'm not trying to make pastoring like any other service, but I think the same trends are going to happen with public school teachers. Uh, same trends with people working in the medical profession and also younger people that would make sense too, because there's a certain level also when you're older, there's nothing else you can do. And you've done it so long that you've kind of gone through these things of the highs and lows, but with COVID and the unique challenges and the stresses again, because that's where we've all had stressors in more places, right? We haven't been able to escape those stressors that there's people who are just, I can't do this anymore. I know in our church, you know, people in the medical profession, I just can't do this anymore. Teachers like I can't, do this anymore. And so I think that's part of the issue. Pastors are in that situation. I've seen across the board, uh, many churches have declined, uh, probably one third to one half in many cases. And so that's another stressor. Like I'm doing this, it's hurtful, it's painful. And then the church is declining. So maybe I'm in the wrong profession, you know, all those sorts of doubts and concerns. And then also, I, I do think 
church discontent has been happening for a while. And there's a lot of reasons to be discontented with the church at large. There's a lot of terrible expressions of pastors and church expressions. But one of the problems with that rising discontent, where you can see this on social media, people uniting with what they don't like about the church and legitimate things that are wrong with the church, is the people who are trying to contend for transformation, the people who are trying to do it right, they're just getting lost. And I know for me, there's very few places online where I can be encouraged. Mm. Uh, in general, people don't want to hear about my hurt. If I can just say, if I just, let's say, tweet today, you know, pastoring's tough because you invest in someone's life. And often when they leave, it feels like a betrayal of that friendship. You know, that's the reality of ministry. I will have people respond. But, you know, also you got to realize that sometimes pastors betray us and they'll express their hurt. And, their, and I'll get a list of things of you got to understand what's wrong with pastors and what's wrong with the church. And it's just not safe for me to express that hurt. And this is the one I see is we have lots of people deconstructing the church, but we have less people coming alongside the pastors and the leaders who are trying to make a difference, who are trying to actually change those structures and work against abusive practices. Uh, so that's happening as well, where you just feel alone. You're not alone, but the feeling of being alone is pretty tangible. We all have gotten to that place. Am I the only one working for this? And does anyone care what I'm doing? So I think that's part of the challenge too. Sorry, I keep, uh, you might have to cut this out. <laughs> one of the things that I have seen that there is has been missing in our leaders and in our pastors. There is this, this void of mentorship. Hmm. And, you know, I felt that acutely in the past two years. I had a pastor who was very much a mentor to me, and he was an extremely safe place for me to go. He was our, our pastor, our family's pastor, that when we lived in Ohio, he was our pastor. And when we moved to Virginia, he continued to, to speak into my life. And when I had questions, as I'm pursuing ordination, and as I come in and start working for the church, you know, there, are, there were questions I had about ministry and how do I handle this or how do I do this or which way do I turn and go? And those weren't always like you talk about the separation between work and church. Like it's hard to have those conversations to say, am I talking to my coworker or am I talking to a pastor? Who am I talking to a friend? And those dynamics are hard. And so having this, this mentor in another place was incredibly valuable to me. Hmm. And he unfortunately uh, contracted COVID and passed away at the end of, towards the end of 2020. I remember uh, standing in the upstairs of our church and um, I, I could, um, I remember thinking, I know, I know that I have other people in my corner, but I don't want to do this without him in my corner. Mm. And I remember just like the absence of that mentorship, the loss of that mentorship and that safe place hmm. was devastating to me. Yeah. You know, I remember early on, um, there was a season, this is, you know, I've been pastoring 23 years and I, I came into a denomination where everyone seemed to be like 20 years older than me. And uh, people aren't always safe. The concept of mentoring is a challenging thing because you also have to develop a relationship before you even know someone can mentor you. And we don't necessarily facilitate environments where pastors can get together and know each other. 
And that's one of the things for any pastor listening, you have to contend for pastoral relationships. Not even, I know mentoring is sometimes the first thing we want, but the reality is you really can't know if someone can mentor or you can mentor them until you've hung out a little bit, right? Uh, the, the problem with that, though, is people cannot be safe. And we've all experienced that where you come to a pastor with a vulnerability, and then they just torch you. They just say something that makes you feel worse. And I bet you even people listening to this podcast, there's a part of them like, I don't know if I want to listen because I don't want to find something else I'm doing wrong. And I go to the conference and they say our church needs to do this and leadership development, leaders need to be this. And it just becomes so overwhelming. I'm barely making it. I don't need someone to tell me something else that I need to do. And so there's that fear in any relationship, especially if ego's in the way, if we're feeling insecure, we'll feel judged by someone saying, well, this is what you need to do, pastor. And I did that and I'm fine. So I found though early on, I felt like I had very few people I could connect with. And I felt like in general, pastors are very isolated people. And many are just concerned with their world. They're so overwhelmed with their world that they don't make room for you in a world outside of their church body or the church that serves. There were a couple people that I gravitated towards because I was so hungry and hurting. And there was this older pastor that I would go to and I could share with him my, my aspirations. And he didn't belittle me. He didn't say that's pride or arrogance. He'd say, oh, I get that. You know, he could encourage me. Well, he, he got brain cancer and he died. And then there was another woman that I would go visit. She was the secretary for the person who was supposed to be my supervisor in, in our church structure but she was really my pastor. And I would go to her and she would encourage me and build me up and ask the questions and give me real help. Well, she got cancer. She died. And that happened within like one year. And I remember being so angry with God. And, and I love God. I was like, why are you killing my prophets is the term that I used. And I know I understand the weight of that, but that's how God and I are talking. Like, why are you killing my prophets? the people who edify and encourage and build me up because that sense of feeling alone or that there's no safe place is real. So in COVID, we've been in isolation. We've been more, you know, less community gathering together, but we still need the safe places. And as you pastor a long time, and I don't want to make you guys feel bad in this, but also you find these relationships you thought you had are very temporary. People who, another pastor who connected with you, and then they got another job somewhere else, and then they no longer talk to you. And you realize they were your friend as long as they were in your region or in your pastor's group, but the moment they went on. So it's very difficult. It's In fact, I actually believe, and this is the Pentecostal in me, but I think it's demonic that pastors don't get together, that I, I don't think Satan wants us to get together. There's power in being in a safe room. When I don't have to qualify everything, I don't have to tell you that I love my church, my kids, and I can just share things and they're like, I understand. I know what's going on. But for pastors, often it's so hard to make room for that relationship. So yes, make room for mentoring, but you have to contend for relationship with other pastors. Now there's a risk in that because you're going to get hurt. People, are, it's going to be an awkward meeting and you'll never want to meet with that person again. But if you don't contend for it, it won't happen because people don't come and find you. In fact, I have mentorships where they never call me. And I could judge them about that and say, you should call me, but that's just who they are. And God has allowed me to love them, but I have to call them. And there's people listening right now where you know that there's people you can call who will minister to you and you don't want to call them. And I get that desire. I want someone to call me. I want someone to find me. 
but that's sometimes what we have to contend for. We, we go to the person and say we're hurting and they listen and they care. So, but that's hard to do when you're hurting, right? I don't want to call someone and be rejected, but I think mentoring is a huge issue. Uh, it gets us to see the larger church, the larger body. Like I, I some, you know, our church right now is very small. We're struggling and it's been difficult, but I gain great hope in talking with other pastors that are my friends when they tell me about a victory, about something good that's going on, because we're all a part of the same battle. And I don't want to know just what's happening in my own little front, but I want to know what's happening in the whole battlefield. Uh, that's the problem, too, is we get isolated in our little worlds, and then the kingdom of God is rises and falls with what's happening at our church and whatever's on the church sign, that's the kingdom of God. And we cut ourselves off from the resources of the full body of Christ. So I, what you brought up there is so crucial. But I want to encourage people, mentoring sometimes, when, when someone comes to me and says, I want to be mentored, this is what I think. I'm going to fail you. I'm not going to be enough. So maybe for some people, uh, the first thing is just, can we meet once every three months just to meet? And then you'll see what kind of relationship will rise up. With some pastors, it'll be give and take. You're mentoring each other. For others, they love to give advice and you listen, you say thank you, and you realize they don't really care about your wisdom. Others, you'll become the mentor. And they might even be older than you, but you're mentoring them in their life. So instead of the pressure of the mentor role, just intentionally try to meet with people. And you're probably going to have to meet with three people to find one person. I don't know what the ratio is, but that'll be good for you. It'll still be good for you, even if it's difficult, because you'll understand your values, what you love, who you are. It'll validate who you are as a pastor and why you're different than that pastor you'll no longer meet with. I would encourage you to find these mentor relationships. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was the safety that I lost. Yeah. It was yeah. that. And I think about like, I, when you were talking, I thought about, um, you know, in a Christmas carol, I, I like the, what is his name? George C. Scott, the, that version of the Christmas carol. You both, come on. I, I just know the Kermit one. Is it, is oh. the one who played Kermit? No, no, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think well, there's one with George C. Scott. So I'll he's say like, yes. And they have the big, the big ghost of Christmas present. And he goes and he's this jolly celebratory dude. And he takes you all through the present Christmas and all the festivities. And then at the end, he pulls open his robe and you see the two, what are they? Poverty and ignorance are underneath his robe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all of this is on top of this, these broken, fragile children. Yeah. And that's like the, the safety is like, you walk around and I have the, I, I remember that thought that I don't want to do this without him in my corner. Yeah. And I don't even feel like I can say that to the people around me because I have people in my corner, but I don't want to hurt them by saying, look at this hurting child I have that, that is alone. And I don't want to show alone to the people mm. who want to be with me. Mm. I'll, okay. I'm just, I'm pretty honest. Their church knows that I can't not say whatever's in my head. So they've learned to love me, but uh, the losses that I've experienced in the last two years have been beyond anything I ever imagined. Talking about those losses can make it seem like I don't value the people who are in the room. Yeah. But I can't pretend that I've not been wounded and that I desperately need the people who've abandoned me. And that's how it feels. I'm not talking about when someone has died, but that still feels like abandonment. At least, you know, Lord, what happened? 
But I have people who just left me. I, I ministered 20 years and they're gone and I'm wounded and I need them. So what do you do? Like I needed them. I, it would be a terrible environment if I didn't need them, right? That's a, it would be, oh, you know, you can come or go follow the Lord. No, I, I need them and they're gone. They're not there to comfort me. They're not there to, to encourage me. And so I am in need when I stand before the church. And then I'm like, what happened, Lord? How did I suddenly become unlovable? Like, why did they just stop loving me? Do I track them down and have them tell me why I'm no longer lovable? Now, I know this language is just really loaded with me assuming what's going on. But that's how I feel. I don't know if that's reality. But it's how I feel. And, and right now we have, and this is not just, but we can only speak to pastors in this sense. In other areas, people have had similar experiences. But I, I don't know. Like, I'm quitting every Sunday. I'm like, I don't know if I can keep doing this because I gave my best to people and it wasn't enough. And what I seem to be doing really doesn't seem to be attractive to the world. And, you know, someone else can come in and do a better job than this. You know, I, 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 it's not even like, oh, I'm someone big and important. It's like, I clearly am not enough for these people. Yeah. And people go, well, Jesus is enough. I get it. I, we all know Jesus is enough. But we're also trying to have impact and to have meaningful relationships. And if you invest 23 years in a church and you look around and there's just a few people there and uh, everything's more a memory. <laughs> now, there's a new season. I walk, you walk through another of those seasons. But this is hard. It's hard to have hope for the next season. I see God doing stuff in the room, and I do see new life, and I see, but it doesn't change the hurt. It just doesn't. It doesn't replace. That's not how it works. If, if one friend dies, it doesn't mean, well, I got two other friends, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't. That's not how it works. Yeah. We say that with children, like someone loses a child, and they go, well, you got two other children. That's the most insensitive thing you can say. Well, I'm just here to say this. For someone who's lost people in the congregation, no matter how healthy the rest of the congregation is, it still hurts. And we have to find a way to manage those losses. That's another one for me, for pastors, that you have to find a way to manage those losses, to mourn those losses, to mm. heal and alter, to take them. And we don't do a lot of talk about that in our conferences and in our books. But that is one of the primary things that just wears out pastors is what do I do with the loss? And yeah. Yeah, well, and and one of the things even that I wrestled with in the last two years was I didn't get a choice in those relationships ending. Yeah. Right? You talk about a, a breakup, a, a, you know, even in, in less so in, in some kids, but you, you kind of have this, like, why well, was present for that moment that, you know, it ended. Yeah. Right? A lot of times, especially in the last two years, people have up and left with very little reasoning, very little, like just, I am out. And so those relationships, like on, on my end, I've had to go, I didn't have, like, I wasn't given the opportunity to say, hey, I hear you. Can I address that? Is that addressable? Yeah, yeah. It's just been the like flat out, like those friendships are over or to, and even to, to sit with the reality of like, these people told me we were friends and that they were here for me and now they're not. Yeah. And so it's this level of trust that's also broken of how do I then 
step into other relationships when someone says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be here for yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's exactly it. And, and by the way, and we know that some of the people, it's not that they're not trying to talk to us They're They don't know how to talk about it. And I, I know someone's listening right now where you've left a church and you're like, and you don't know how to talk with the pastors and you know, so, but it still doesn't change how it feels that it's easier for me to have someone yell at me than to ignore me. Because when I feel like someone is just, I disappeared, it's like my basic humanity. Like why, I mean, even if you told me you're angry and left, but you told me nothing, you just disappeared. Yeah, That's really hard. And, and, I, and I, I've often thought pastoring is a lot like foster care. That when you bring in a child into your home for foster care, if you're a good foster parent, and I know many good foster parents, is you invest in that child as that child is your child. But the child really has no idea the cost in your life it took to bring them into your home. And then one day they're gone. Mm. And that was just a part of their life. Now, they value that, but it's a different relationship. And often I'll just think of that. I'll show up at some event and you know, <laughs> if you pastor long enough, you'll show up at events where like, Half the people used to go to your church, you know, however you do it. Like, I've never yelled at anyone. We have never church splits. I'm not a control. It just happens, right? And then you realize it was a season and you look over and you remember when you went to the hospital room when their dad died and you went to the emergency room and you watched their dad die and they wept on your shoulders and you prayed for them. And then they just moved on. And you didn't do that for them. You did it for the Lord. But there's a part of you that just struggles with who am I? What worth do I have? And then now to open your heart to new people, which is still hard, right? To someone who's loving on you and with you and connected and to know, to just think this is just going to happen again, which it might. But that's hard to keep opening your heart to the possibility of rejection. At least it's hard for me. I, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm easily hurt. That's not their fault. I, they don't make my identity. But I also want people to know this is who your pastor is, and that's not going to change. I'm never going to get thick skin. This is the skin I have, and I get wounded by the church. Uh, so in that context, yeah, how do we manage losses? How do we open our heart? Another thing for pastors, if you're finding your heart getting harder and harder, you got to find a way to be able to be present with the people who are loving you, because that's what happens with past hurt, is it keeps us from being open to present opportunity, present miracles present restoration and that's another sign that we're not in a good place because we're bitter with the people in the room because of the people that are no longer in the room yeah that the breaks in community and like and and seeing the like babies you baptized and couples you married and and like you know we hear jesus is enough but at the same time like we are to be we're to be jesus to one another yeah. and so when when people that were Jesus to us and that and that like we were in that good community with and they they turn and they walk out and the door is left open and there's no explanation it's just this absence it can feel like it it can feel like Jesus walked off on you yeah it, it brings to mind like if you walk that statement out that Jesus is enough right like when people walk out Jesus is enough well Jesus wasn't enough for them to stick around so like that doesn't actually help right? Like, like we get the truth under it, but like when you walk that out, you go, but if Jesus has to be enough for me, then why can't Jesus be enough for that person? Again, there's a, a myriad of, of conversations and, and context and different things. But like, when we really walk that out, what we're, what we're saying is like, Jesus has to be enough for you 
as a pastor, but not enough because we're, we're talking in the context of pastors, leaders. Jesus has to be enough for you, but not enough for a congregant or somebody yeah. that you're pastoring. And, and that that's really dangerous, I think, to say to to a pastor that like you have to hold on and dig in and hold on to Jesus and yet not allow for, again, tons of context, tons of, of different things, tons of hurts and, and reasons why. But if we're not careful, we, we will start to teach something that we maybe don't actually believe. Well, you know, we don't talk about community enough. My first book is called The Community of God, and I, I title it Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And the basic premise is I don't want to be in community, but it's good for me. Uh, we know from Adam before the fall that God says it's not good for man to be alone or that to be human is to be in community. But just as individually we can sin before God, collectively we can sin before God. Uh, but we are made human through community. And so community breakups should wound us. They should cost us. What do you do with that cost? And uh, I maybe I don't I don't know who's going to listen from our church. I don't, maybe our church will be supportive, but I, I just assume some people are going to just throw me under the bus with some of this stuff. But I, I have to tell you, this is how I feel. You talked about the idea of not having an issue of, of a voice in someone leaving you. There's a lot of things I do as a pastor that I don't want to do. I do it because it's right, but I don't want to do it. But sometimes it feels like this, that I'm the one who has to keep showing up when everyone else hasn't. And I get bitter. I'm like, do you think I want to do? I don't want to do this either, but I'm I'm doing it, and I'll feel like I'm the last one there. And that's and this is by the way with God, where I have to talk with the Lord, like Doug, why are you doing this? Are you doing this for me? You're doing this for others? But that's the feeling that I can get is like, I don't want to do this either. I don't want to talk to that person either. I I think this is just as difficult as you. And am I the one who just has to hold down the fort, and and then everybody else goes off? And then you live in a culture that doesn't really value pastors anymore, where the the butt of jokes. We're not really honored. I just watched a movie the other day. Every movie with a pastor, there's a funeral scene, right? That's when you get to see pastors. There's a funeral. The pastor starts talking. Oh, I walk through the valley. And then their voice gets cut off. The music swells. And then they focus in on other people. It's like, we don't even exist in our culture. And when we exist in our culture, it's often about the, the terrible pastor, the controlling, the abusive pastor. So you're working in fields where you feel like you're doing worthy work. You're not necessarily getting honored for that work. And then people are leaving who said they would be with you. They were going up the hill with you and they're no longer there. Now, all of this ultimately brings us back to, yes, Jesus must be enough for me. These, you know, dark night of the soul, standing with the Lord, garden of Gethsemane, we haven't had to lay down our lives, but the reality is we're, Lord, I, what is this about? And then it does create intimacy with God, these lonely fields, these places of abandonment, these places of rejection. But that can be tough. And I have to admit that that's part of ministry. And I think we don't talk about that enough with pastors so they can manage expectations. No matter how you pastor, you're going to find yourself in this isolated place where you feel like people have abandoned you and you don't know what to do and you're hurting and you don't know where to go. Now, obviously, there's going to be time with the Lord. Other things we can do is, is actually intentionally find safe relationships as much as safe can be where we can take this stuff. Now we're doing this in podcast form and I think the Lord is helping us with that, but we know it needs to be deeper, right? And there's things yeah. you and I are not gonna express that wouldn't be right for this environment. There must be someone, and pa I'll, okay, pastors do this, it drives me crazy. I'll meet with a pastor and they'll say, you know, about two months ago, I was ready to quit. 
I go, but then Lord did something and now I feel like I'm going to continue on. And I had a friend who kept saying that to me. And I said, I don't want to hear that again. Call me when you're ready to quit. Don't call me after you get it all figured out. And that's the nature of ministry. I have to have myself all presentable before I can actually talk about this. It has to be a sermon illustration before I can talk about it. We need people that we can call on that Sunday evening and say, I'm ready to quit. I'm angry with God. I'm angry with the people. I'm angry. And that can sit with us and not try to talk us out of it, but can help us during that time. And I would ask anyone listening here, what do you like? Do you go into isolation and crisis and try to figure it all out? And then you come back out and you're like, okay, God's good. Or are you willing to let people into the most broken hurt areas of your life. I think that's crucial for long-term ministry, that there's someone who can see you wounded. You know, the term we use, naked, like just wounded, naked, and afraid. You're just on the floor, and they can come alongside you and hold you and comfort you at some level. I don't care if you're a man or a woman or your views on what it means to be tough. You have to have someone like that, and not just Jesus with you, It's not good for man to be alone or woman to be alone. You need somebody else, a friend, a pastor, a counselor, someone who can come alongside you and be with you in your most vulnerable place, who can be Christ in the flesh, embodied in the flesh in a real person. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, oh, I I remember when, so before, um, before I had, Frank and Molly, I had a loss. I had uh, several miscarriages and I remember one was a little further along. And at that point I was volunteering with our youth group. I remember talking to the youth pastor and trying to like work out with her. How am I going to like, let the kids know that I've lost this, this baby and how am I going to comfort them? And how am I going to make this clear that like, I trust Jesus and it's, and like, it'll all be for the good. And she just looked at me and said, you know, you don't have to turn everything into a lesson. Yeah. Like you, you can just be hurt and sad and mm. it's okay. That's so good. And, and that's to me a sign of a healthy environment or a not healthy environment. Uh, I, I had a list of some things that pastors could do for their health. And one of the issues to me is this issue of Um, What you do, people have to accept and reject the core of who you are. Uh, If you're in an environment where you feel like you can only present parts of yourself, or you have to pretend, or you have to do what's not your strength in order to be accepted, you're just going to be drained over the long haul. At some level, a healthy environment, a healthy family does this. They accept your uniqueness, your strongest gifts, and they make room for that. And they allow you to be a real person. So the church that I pastor understands a lot of my limitations, and they love me, and then they work around those limitations, and they rise up and do the things that I can't do, but I can be an honest person before them because it's too hard to pretend, because people are going to reject you regardless, but you'd rather have people reject you for doing what you love and for truly being who you are. And I know some people are like, well, I don't want to be rejected at the core of who I am. You would rather be rejected that way then be doing stuff you don't want to do, presenting a false self and still be rejected. That makes you even more angry because you did all this garbage for everyone else and it's still not good enough. So this is the risk, but the risk is to stand before the church and say, "Uh, I'm, I'm kind of depressed. I put kind of there, you know, you probably could, but I'm, and I love the Lord and I'm going to preach a message here today, 
but I'm pretty sad and I'm trying to get help with that. I don't need you guys to necessarily help me with that, but I do need you to know that that's where I'm at. And those are the kinds of environments the church must facilitate as we move forward. Because that's, I've been, I haven't been with one pastor who has it figured out more than anyone else, but I've been with a lot of pastors who hide it. Uh, They can't admit to their depression, so they just say they have low blood sugar, but they're depressed. They have highs and lows and, and God loves them. And I, I, I just think that issue of making something into a sermon illustration saying, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like, frankly, right now, we don't know what we're doing coming out of the pandemic. And anyone who pretends they do know is a, uh, what's another word for fool? That's foolish. You, you don't know. So we have to admit that. I know for my kids, I did that. I'm like, you know, I remember saying to my youngest son, we don't know what we're doing. We've never gone through this before. We're trying. It was where we weren't going to let him go to an event where we were just concerned that he'd get sick. And, but there was no great, you know, your dad has wisdom and this is what the Bible says. It's like, yeah. we don't know. We're trying our best. Uh, but pastors often feel like they have to have it processed and figured out before they present it. But where does discernment come from? From allowing your hurts and pains to be brought in to community. So, yeah, I think that's a huge one. Uh, just to say, I don't know, but then also to be able to contend for your own mental health and to tell other people, you know what? I don't need your advice. Uh, Please, that might comfort you. Uh, You talk about with miscarriages or, uh, you know, my older sister, who's our worship leader, had three stillborn deaths, incredible trauma, just incredible. Why, Lord? And even when we think about it now, like, why, Lord? And But people say terrible, terrible, stupid things. Well, we're going to pray harder next time. Just pray harder. I remember being so angry. I've never punched anyone. But, you know, what? We didn't pray hard enough? Is that why this beautiful baby didn't live? Just that kind of stuff. And I'm sorry if this is hurting people with memories. But I want you to know that it wasn't wrong that you contended for your mental health, that you looked that person in the eyes and said, no, I don't need to hear another word from you. And that's hard when you're supposed to be serving everyone and leading everyone. You're not Jesus. (laughs) You're not. And we have to contend for safe spaces and also to put boundaries around people who aren't safe. I'm not going to that prayer group. Why? Because the two people go to that prayer group are just controlling and manipulative. And I don't feel good after I leave. I'm not going. But you're the pastor. I'm not. We're either shutting it down or someone else has to run that because it's not good for my mental health. If a church loves you, they're going to let you do that. If they don't love you, then what are you doing anyway? Are you just doing things based on some negotiations and everybody does the right thing to appease these negotiations? You don't want a foundation like that. So that's hard. It's hard when you're hurting. Contend for your mental health, contend for boundaries and find safe people. Yeah, Mm, that's good. Um, Yeah, I think one of, so I I recently, um, I recently had the reckoning moment with myself uh you know the last two years have been really really hard and it's all these things that we've talked about about people leaving about a ministry shutting down you know my comment earlier about like i didn't have a choice my ministry shut down because people were leaving the critical mass to keep a a ministry going and the you know the return on investment we can talk about how like you know if one person shows up is it worth it it's like yes but like i'm also going to kill my volunteers by like asking them to do and do and do and like the return is always like every single time they show up it's deflating 
which then yeah. means that our, our debrief meeting is deflating. And so I didn't have a choice. My youth ministry effectively shut down. Yeah. Functionally, I was not a youth pastor for a long, long time. And we had the conversations on staff. We had the conversations with my pastor and said, when this ends, we'll revisit it. Right now, it's okay. But I think at some level, there was the, <clears throat> I didn't choose this, God. Yeah. I didn't choose for this youth ministry to be over. And I don't necessarily know that I'm ready to stop being a youth pastor, a pastor. And so <clears throat> having to walk through a door right now, I'm a digital discipleship pastor. And that's coming out of a road of that shift and, and, and where we're at now as, as a society and culture and a church. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's hard though, to discern where we're going to, right? That's right, the other exactly. issue. Now, what do I do? Discernment kicks in. Yes. This has died. What's my discernment? Do I know what right. you're doing, Lord? What I give my energy to? Exactly. And, but within all of this swirling of what do I do next? Where are my people? My best friends are leaving. I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't find out families were leaving, which I've been their pastor. So what do I do with that? Right. And thankfully there, there were some families that said, Hey, we're moving. This is why this is nothing with you. And I, I appreciated that, but they still left and that left a void in our ministry. Right. And so uh, personal things were happening, news uh, about family members and things that were happening and traumatizing things were happening. All in the middle of like very joyous and celebratory things as well. But at some point it got to the point where it was like, I can't sit in a room and think about hard pastoral decisions and not get like the anxiety go through the roof. For little things and and it affects the rest of my day and it affects the rest of my week and and the depression like there are it's harder and harder to get out of bed and, and not you know for me the fight was well i i can get up in the morning still like it, it only takes me an hour to talk myself out of getting out of bed and you start playing the game of like you're negotiating with like how bad is it really and it, it finally got to the point where it was like no i have i actually have to do something I have to do something about this. Someone was loved me enough to say, I can help you make that first step. Here is someone that you can talk to. And, and having those conversations and like doing the whole qualifying thing and then going, no, actually you have mild depression and mild anxiety. Yeah. And so a next step is medication. Is that something you want to do? And I had to be able to go, yes, because if this is the thing that's going to help me get to a baseline to where I can now make healthy decisions and, and, and see, and again, going back to kind of the spirit and truth of like, I have to be able to actually like function, you know, and, and if, if I can't come to a, a decision because it causes me to just well up in anxiety, then I'm never going to be able to, to lead well. I'm always going to be in that survival mode and that like, how do I get okay before I even think about, do, do I need to make this decision right now? Do I, do I need to make this phone call? Is this one comment worthy of, like, I can't even think and process through that. And so my, my leadership will never be healthy if I'm always in that. Mm. And I, I, I went public and I didn't, I didn't tell certain people before I went public, I just was like, here is this truth. Like I'm on medication. I love Jesus. And I have fought that fight of like, am I, do I just not love Jesus enough? Is that why 
this is happening? Am I not praying enough, reading scripture enough, in community group enough? No, I'm in those things. I need help. I need help. And I, I personally, you know, we talked about therapy earlier on the show and like, I'm looking at like, okay, I need to carve out time to be able to start therapy because these things need to get worked out. I, I, one, I just want to tell you, thank you for sharing that. Uh, just, we should normalize talking about mental yeah. health. And the reality is uh, sometimes we have low dopamine and serotonin and we just have a limited amount and we don't have any more. And uh, yeah. I remember my sister is also a doctor and a worship leader sending me a really nice email early on in ministry. And she said, a lot of the things that you're talking about that you're going through, uh, they might not be spiritual battles. You might just be struggling with uh, some depression. And just her saying that was so freeing because I'd go to the cycle. You give a lot of energy on Sunday mornings. And then on Monday I'd crash. There's this high and this low. And, and, and then I was like, Oh, so I, what it helped me do is uh, when I was low, I didn't have to over spiritualize it. I didn't have to assess it. I'm like, well, this is how I am right now. This will pass. <laughs> I can exist in that way. Our church uh, coming out of COVID, we've offered that anyone in our church who wants uh, counseling, psychiatric care, any form, it doesn't have to be Christian. will pay for the first two visits because we wanted to normalize that reality. And then the sad thing, you know, and I'm just saying this because there are people who still see mental health as a different category. The mm -hmm. mind is an organ, right? The body, the nervous system, it's like any other part of our body, but no one is fearful of talking about the fact that they need aspirin uh, or they need some sort of ibuprofen or anti-inflammatory because their knee isn't working right. And no one apologizes for being in a wheelchair if their legs don't work. But there are things that you do in ministry and in life that impact your brain and your nervous system. And we certainly can pray for healing, like we pray for healing for any other ailment. But part of healing is restoration through medicine. And medicine is a gift from God as we've been made in the image of God. And people made in the image of God have been able to come up with these amazing discoveries that bring life to people. And so yeah. we take the aspirin and the ibuprofen and we, we, we take the, the procedure that allows us to to recuperate our arm that we've sprained or broken. And it's the same thing with our mind. And so, and I, and I also think what you mentioned there about like psychiatric or uh, for pastors, you have permission to contend for your well-being. Being a servant doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. You need to be healthy to serve others. That's not selfish. The most selfless thing you can do is to make sure that your mental health is okay, that you can serve others. And I know that sense of like, Ah, I'm failing. Even here, I'm failing. I should be getting counseling. And if I was a good, you know, that that self-hate stuff can just go in a cycle. Here's the reality. You have permission to contend for your own well-being. And you know that as you are doing well physically and mentally, you're going to be able to give better energy to these things you love, the people you love, the things you've been called to. So, and now I also just want to bring this up. Um, counseling and uh, psychiatric care is a form of privilege in this sense that that industry is still not paid for by most insurances. It's not, uh, now I want people to still consider that. You can find ways, there's different services, but our mental health uh, care in this country is terrible. And so sometimes we'll tell people to get counseling and it's the luxury of that we have the ability to do that. Uh, I, even there, if you literally can't afford those things, you still have to find something. You gotta find something and see it in this term as you deserve that. It's not a wasted day that you spend all the day looking for mental health resources. 
that's ministry. You're just ministering to yourself so that you can be of health to the body. You're not being selfish. And so I love that you brought that up to say, I needed this. I recognize something. And then once you do it, I mean, any of the people I've met, like marriage counseling, the same way. If your marriage, if you're a pastor right now and your marriage isn't going well, it's not going to get better. It's just not. And if you just keep going on this trajectory, it's going to wound you and it's going to wound your spouse. So contend for marriage counseling. Every couple I've heard who've contended for marriage counseling where both were partnering have said they wish they did it earlier. Now, if the other person won't do that, they won't, but that's the whole sign. That's what's broken. You're not going to get healthy if people aren't trying to commit to that issue. So again, for pastors, you know, we just put a stiff upper lip, do all the work. People leaving, they, they take vacation because they got to get away from people, but you don't. You're there again. You're doing the work. You're just and getting run down. And then when they come back to church, you're bitter because they're happy and smiling and you're worn out. <laughs> so to me, uh, any way that we can contend for mental health is incredibly yeah. important. In fact, I'm just going to put this out here. If anyone listening to this, at some level, you're saying, yeah, I think I need to do that. That's your number one priority. Put everything else aside. Just your number one priority. I, I, if you can get that done, the next step, just the next step, Find a counselor, look up counselors, ask someone you trust to help you. If you can take that next step, you're closer to health and healing. Until you do, you're going to find yourself in this continual cycle. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I would, you know, if someone is listening, who knows, I am constantly like on the lookout for, because I would love to have the resource. And we talked about this when we had Lisa on, I would love to have the resource of finding someone who does nonprofit counseling and offers that online. So if you're listening and you know that person exists or you are that person, like, let us know. We know people who, um, and we'd, you know, love to hear from you and talk to you about how, how that is a ministry to, to offer that particularly online. And, and the other thing, and Doug, you can, I, I trust you to correct me on this if if I've got this uh, if I'm wrong. But you know, in the in the last few years, uh, I was reading I was reading where Jesus makes you know spits in the dirt and makes the mud and puts it on the guy's eye. And whenever I've heard that presented in church, then we all like it's always the same thing. It's always like, dude, Jesus, that's so gross. Why are you being so gross, Jesus? Yeah. And and within the last couple years something there was a time I was reading it and it and it clicked and I went oh we think it's gross but nobody in the crowd was like Jesus that's so gross like stop you're 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 being nasty nobody makes mud and puts it on the eyes well because they made salve you know and it's like an actual he was using an actual way that they would have treated an eye injury Hmm. you know and and so if Jesus wasn't afraid to to do something that they actually practiced as far as the common medical treatment of the day like maybe we shouldn't be afraid of the common medical treatment of our day well and i haven't studied that enough to know either way and that certainly would be a good you know i'm not against that interpretation i think there's a bigger issue of why the church often doesn't respond well to the concept of medical interventions 
and why they somehow seem seem medical or scientific interventions as somehow not of God, you know, as they compartmentalize, you know, prayer is the important thing and the doctor is, uh, you know, not as good, is they have a wrong view of humanity. They've been taught that humans are these worthless, useless, uh, depraved people who nothing is good in them until Jesus finds them. And the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says we are made in the image of God. We're made to be fruitful, to multiply, and have dominion. That when God created humans, he said, very good, that humans are made in his image to image God on earth, and that the fullness of God was revealed in human form through Jesus. So there's an aspect of the human form itself, the human image that images God. And God has given us tremendous mental capacity to have his will be done on earth. And so the best of human intellect is not wicked. The best of human discovery is not contrary to God. It's an expression of being imaged and made in God's image. So every scientific advancement that leads to health and healing is an expression of God's miraculous provision through humans on earth. So it's not, well, prayer's the right thing, but medicine's the wrong thing. That medicine is an expression of humans being made in God's image, coming up with these tremendous discoveries and then allowing those discoveries to bring health and healing to others. Now, here's the problem. If I have that discovery and I give myself praise, then I miss the boat. If I discover these things and say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, and I praise God for this amazing capacity to, to, to learn how the world exists, then there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what Paul says in Romans 2, is that instead of serving the creator, we worshiped and served the created. And if you look in our culture, is that's the struggle. God gives you the gift of, of understanding, and instead of praising God, you say, boy, I am wise. I'm understanding. I don't need God. So we serve the created instead of the creator. I see this problem with science, how people even treated COVID and other things, is that we saw this idea, well, science and the scientific method and human discovery, that's of this wicked, depraved, sinful, worthless human existence. And that's just not true. And humans can come up with tremendous discoveries, even when they're not serving God, because at some level, we still image God. Now we can use it for marred purposes, but we still image God. And so that's why I want to encourage anyone who's been given that theology, you, you, anybody made in the image of God who's come up with a discovery that brings life to people, that is something you can utilize. And the, you and we don't do that in other areas. Like we listen to music that's good. That's not by a Christian, but it feeds our soul. We listen to it. We watch movies that are, it's our favorite movie. It wasn't made by Christians, but it touches our heart. Yet if somebody gives you a medicine that helps you feel better, well, it's, they weren't Christians. So it must not be of God. That's just silly. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I would encourage with mental health is we have to normalize that the brain can get hurt. And by the way, if my legs were cut off before I became a Christian, unless a radical miracle occurs, my legs are still going to be cut off and I'm going to be a Christian. And some of you have faced such trauma that your brain might be broken. And so you're going to need to have the wheelchair. You're going to need to have the things that help you survive mentally. And it's not a sign you're a bad Christian. It's you're doing your best to be able to live a life of you know, victory in response to terrible things that have happened to you or terrible things that have happened biologically. So yeah, um, you can see I'm passionate about this, but yeah. we have to normalize these discussions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've had the friends who are in wheelchairs that we've gone to prayer nights and they've been approached by people who have prayed that like in Jesus name, you will walk out of this wheelchair yeah. tonight and it doesn't happen. And so the next day they go, 
does God not love me enough? Like they prayed for it. Like, why would they pray for it and then God not do it? And because, you know, they're praying for this and the miraculous. And, and again, we're not saying that God can't do these things or that we don't have faith that he wants to, but it's the, we make it the, it's either or. Either yeah. you have enough faith that God will do it or you didn't have enough faith. And, and that re-traumatizes people, right? Or it, it, it re, it opens, not just like, picking at a wound it like opens a wound and, yeah. and re-injures a wound well and those people won't come to the church because it's not about whether god loves me it's do these people love me enough to leave me alone and accept the fact that i'm in a wheelchair and that mm. i have value because then if the only time they come to me and pray and i don't get healed then they look at me and what's wrong sin in your life sin in other people's life then they just going to avoid those environments so we need people to be able to come into the church who can say i'm depressed instead of someone trying to talk them out of depression saying yeah you know what are the things you're doing to help you know how can we help you but that might be a continual reality in their life and yeah. we will pray and believe in this but we might also recognize that that might just be something they carry in their life and they can still live vibrant lives while being yeah. anxious, they can still live vibrant lives while dealing with PTSD. And I know those people, and some are even in my family. They live yeah. amazing lives of faith. But yeah. man, if we, and this is, we bring it back to pastors, honestly, some pastors are not able to express who they are because they will be rejected. They will be fired. They will be seen as you can't lead our church if you're struggling with that. And, and that part, you know, I, I know, especially if you're financially tied to an environment like that. That's tough, but at some level, you have to have an environment that accepts the person you are, not the idol of who you should be. Mm. Uh, and because that's the person God sees, that's the person God called. You know, God called, you know, each of you. He wasn't surprised by your weaknesses. He, he said, I'm going to be strong where you're weak. And if the environment doesn't let you be that, then you're in trouble. So I, I definitely, for pastors, if you're in that place, it, I, I would pray either a way to go into another environment. Or to be able to have that, you know, honest discussion, because yeah. it's just yeah. life's hard enough. If you have to hide the fact that you're depressed or hide the fact that you're anxious, yeah. that's dangerous. We're talking suicides. We're talking terrible things that can happen in environments where we're not allowed to express who we actually are. Yeah. Uh, Doug, you, you sharing that just reminds me. I, I just want to want to be honest, too. Like being on medication hasn't meant that my anxiety has gone away. Being on, on medication has not meant that there are not the, the ups and downs and, and some days are, are harder than others to, to not feel that mild depression, the mild anxiety. Um, I kind of explain it this way to, to my people is like before it was like the scene in Matilda where everything's just kind of flying around, except there's not really any beauty, right? In Matilda, it's like a really pattern and nice. It's kind of organized. In my brain, it just wasn't that way. And mm -hmm being on medication and, and I'm, I'm very new to it. So I, I want to, to also just be very honest about that. What it did was it didn't mean that those thoughts didn't happen or, or that my brain would go into like, okay, now I'm thinking about this thing. What it meant was that I could like take a second to breathe and go, Hey, that thing is something I do need to think about, but it doesn't need to take over my life right now. Hmm. Let me put it, let me put it on the shelf. I can come back to it. And also it doesn't, it didn't, it helped so that my body didn't react <clears throat> in that way either. But it doesn't mean that that those moments that, that were happening, that if I were to have the same conversation, that it, it doesn't well up in me. It just means that it's not, um, it's not overtaking my life. And, and, and so I just want to say that like, to your point of like, 
I, I still have mild anxiety and I still have mild depression. They didn't go away. The, the medication just helps me to, to not even cope, but, but to, to live in a more healthy manner. Mm. Well, you're getting at something. I think we should celebrate the struggle. Uh, it, sometimes we think we can only celebrate it if, if, oh, and it all went away. The struggle is you're struggling for your mental health. Like, I don't know, maybe like a month from now, these medicines don't work and you got to do something else, but I'm going to support you and praise you and encourage you that you're struggling and contending for your mental health. And often we only celebrate the people who have the victory story. Uh, there's people struggling with weight, you know, and we only celebrate if you lose all the weight, but if you're struggling and you're struggling for your health and you're contending, then, then good. You didn't give up. Praise God. Struggling for your mental health, good. You didn't give up, right? Like that struggle, it's contending. It's making room for the Lord. It's making room for the healthy resources of the community. Uh, but if we can only present ourselves as fixed, or I'm only doing this for the point that I get fixed, then uh, then we'll just start suppressing things and we'll just stop, we'll, we'll hide them. So I love the idea of even for pastors here is to contend. This is one of the things for ministry in general. Ministry should always have value in the doing. That means what I'm doing has value regardless of the outcomes. And if I'm living for this has value in the doing, then I'm going to be okay. But if I'm living for future payoffs, I'm only doing this for this future payoff. I'm only, you know, I, some the church needs to grow, more income, more praise, more what I'm doing. And I'm miserable while doing this, but for the future payoff, then you struggle because the future payoff is never enough. And it's never what you thought it was going to be. So in any area of your life, does this have value in the doing? That's the question. Does this have value for my mental health? Is this best I know how? Yes. Uh, do I hope that it has certain outcomes? You bet. But it's still good that I did this. This is, I'll learn something. I learned by doing this that this doesn't work, but I'm still learning something in the doing. And a lot of pastors are not living in the moment. They're living for something future or something past. And what they're doing is making them miserable. So in any level, if you could just contend for what you do for yourself and for others, this has value in the doing. Now I'm hoping for certain outcomes, but even if everyone hates me and the church closes, I will feel good about what I did these last few months. You know, I will, I will feel good about myself as a pastor, as a person. That's the best you can ask for because we live in this moment, not in the future, not in the past. We live in the eternal now. And if we don't have room for God to transform this eternal now, the future is scary and the past uh, just tears us down. So I, that part is huge for me. Doug, this has to have value in the doing. And then I hope for outcomes, but I don't know. I don't have control over how other people will respond to what I'm doing. So, so I want to swing back around to the social media thing. Um, we, we've definitely identified like what is, what is hard and what is causing this, this hurt and the, these like Barna shows the, the maybe I'm going to quit pastors and we've we've talked about um the the good tools that are therapy and medication um but we have seen you do things like uh you hosted a space uh, i think and and you've zoomed with pastors and you have opened up and allowed you've used the tool of social ministry and online tools to create that safe place and care for other pastors and other leaders so I just, I wanted to hear a little bit about that. Hmm. Well, I, I believe one of my, part of my calling is to encourage pastors and to encourage pastors of regular sized churches. It's like 90% of churches or 200 people or less or fewer, excuse me. And then it even goes smaller to actually, you know, most pastors are pastoring congregations of 50 or 60 people. 
And we live in a culture that says that's not good enough. Uh, we live in a climate where we actually create self-hate. Every conference you go to, even your denomination is constantly telling you what you're doing right now isn't good enough. You need to be something else. You need to be 100, not 50. You need to be 200, not 100. And then we platform people who are exceptions to the rule. And no matter how gracious they do it, how kind they do it, there's this sense of failure. And if you get around many pastors, they're often very discontented with the fruit of their life, thinking if I just did it different, I'd be where I'm supposed to be. So we teach that self-hate. And then the congregations learn it as well, that they have greater and greater expectations of what a church should be versus truly loving what the church is. So for me, my goal is to encourage pastors that what they do has value and that they don't have to prove their worth. If somebody pastors for two years, we should celebrate them. We should throw a party for them. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did it for two years. That's amazing. We are so glad. Not based on whether they grew a church or they had to close the doors of the church, but were they obedient? Jesus went to whole communities who rejected him, so we're going to be rejected. We can't judge the fruit of our life based on anything but obedience. Uh, so I want to encourage pastors that what they're doing has value. I also want to encourage them that God is speaking to you, and I trust that, and I believe that, and I want to partner with God's message in you instead of giving you my message to follow. And so much of the ways we resource pastors is by telling them to do something else versus listening to them and what God's put on their heart and helping them take steps to do that. Now, the other area that I encourage them in is in managing expectations, that are you going to be okay if your church doesn't grow? Are you going to be okay if, if just doing this has value but nothing else happens? Because I think ministry is often about managing expectations. If you're okay, then do it. If not, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It's like when people want to have weddings that are outdoor weddings. I always say to them, it's going to rain. Are you okay with that? And they go, how do you say it's going to rain? Trust me, if you're not okay with it raining on your wedding and you're having an outdoor wedding, then don't have an outdoor wedding. That's what ministry is like. Are you okay with people leaving you and rejecting you? Then do it. Are you okay with having a church that's only 50 people for the next 20 years? Then do it. If not, we need to have some more discussions. Online, this is what I do, is I'm a little less worried about what people think of me. Well, that's maybe not true, but I just got used to people being upset with me. So I just share my life. I don't just share the tip of the iceberg, I share the iceberg. And uh, because I want to give pastors permission that they're not alone. And by sharing that, I know that some pastors who don't feel like they can share their lives, that either there might be consequences, they'll be fired, or, you know, they, or they just can't do it. That by just sharing my hurts, they don't feel alone. I'm not sharing my hurts so that everybody can comfort me. I mean, sometimes I'd like some comfort, but it's more just to let people know they're not alone. And then I've had all these people who will direct message me or email me, and then we'll just talk. And my goal is when I meet with any person, I want them to feel better about their life after they left. I want them to feel more optimistic and hopeful. I want them to know that I value Christ's work in their life. I want to be that safe place. Now, I don't meet with people a bunch. I'm not someone who wants to meet every week over coffee, but I want to be a safe person so that if I talk to someone once a year, a pastor, they can call me, they can text me, they can Zoom with me, and they can be real, and I can love on them. And yes, I like to talk a lot, and they can also interrupt me and say, Doug, you know, I don't need any advice right now. I just need you to listen. So that has been my heart, because uh, if you encourage one pastor, you can encourage thousands of people. And right now, 
there is not enough encouragement for pastors. And I, I just say this, I've got friends on social media that I love, and they will continually just present sweeping, negative, angry posts about the church and pastors. And I know they've experienced profound hurt, but I have to tell them in the most gentle way that your bitter generalizations are hurting specific people who need your encouragement. And that at some level, we still have to encourage those who are trying really hard to make a difference. And I'm even saying this now, knowing I will take a hit for that statement, because I want to cover other pastors who are wounded. They're trying so hard, and they just feel like they're constantly being attacked and assaulted. So if you want to build the church, if you want to help people who are deconstructing, help them with their deconstruction, but also uplift the voices of pastors who are doing it right. Uh, praise the people who are trying to make a difference, because they're barely making it. And your encouragement of them could encourage thousands of people. So that's what I try to do in the context of social media, being a pastor who tries to pastor pastors. And I also pastor people online where they call me their social media pastor, and I just accept them. They've been so wounded. They may never go to a church. It's not my right to judge them. It's my job to love them. So I love them and accept them and try to be a safe person in their life. Mm. I just want to say thank you. <clears throat> um, hey, can I pray for you guys? I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for those listening. Um, I just, I just want to pray, and there's sometimes when we get to this deep stuff, there's this fear, like fear of talking about what's broken, that it'll just collapse, but that's not true. There's a foundation under this conversation of a God who is carrying us. He's bigger than all this. So we can talk about this. When we believe in God's grace, we can be weak because we're in the center of God's grace. We're not falling out of his, we're in the center of his grace. And so we don't have to worry. It's, it's not held together by us just being a strong person who pulls ourselves up by our bootstraps. So we can be weak because God is strong. That's a sign that his strength is in us. We can just say, I can't do this, Lord. So Lord, we just come to you and we just present our lives into your hands. And uh, I know this is a general prayer. There's people all over the spectrum here, and I'm just going to focus in on a few things. For the person listening who just can't make it, that that's where you're at. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm just undone. I'm numb. Uh, we just stand with you right now. And we're not asking you to do anything, but just to place this in God's arms. You don't have to defend your worth through your next steps. You will be loved by God, whether you pastor again, whether you pastor for another 20 years, or this is your last day. You are loved by God. You don't have to prove your worth and your value. You are dearly loved. You are ministering as an expression of God's favor and God's goodness. Now, we trust that God is good. He's a good father, a good parent. God has not come to hurt you or to harm you. 
but to help you. So as you present your life before the Lord, we are praying that you would be able to discern in a strong way the peace of God, the presence of God, the voice of God, the leading of God, and that you'd be able to discern next steps. If next steps is to have a conversation with, with your counsel or with a counselor, then you have permission to take that next step. If next steps is to be honest with your spouse about what's going on, then we trust that you have faith for that next step. If next steps are just, you know, I'm pushing through here. I know, Lord, you're with me. It hurts, but I'm going to carry this cross a little farther. Then we pray for strength for your next step. But Holy Spirit, we pray that in every next step, we would feel your comfort, your presence, and your assurance that we are dearly loved. Lord, we pray for more pastors to come into the harvest, that, that they would say yes to their calling through this podcast, a podcast that's about the hurts and the suffering and the pain, that it would almost seem irrational to say yes, but that for the one listening or saying, yes, I am going to say yes, I can do this. I can come, I, I don't have any expectations but to serve you, Lord. And I don't care whether it's 20 people or 20,000. I'm willing to lay down my life for your church. I'm willing to be a part of advancing your church. And we pray that that person would take next steps, next steps towards ordination, next steps towards licensing, next steps towards partnering and volunteering in the church, next steps to forming that home group, that small group, that house church. We pray for next steps in Jesus' name. And we say, Lord, would your kingdom come and your will be done? And we're willing to do whatever you want us to do. We're willing to have the church structured however you want it to be structured. We take all our structures, all our systems, all our plans, and we place them in your hands. We don't want to serve the created. We want to serve you. We don't want to serve the systems. We want to serve you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. We thank you that you're with us, that you've not forgotten us, that you've made your home with us. So we ask that you strengthen us for next steps. And right now, for the person who believes they've been called the pastor the rest of their life, but there's this accusation against them, I just, I just give you permission to just continue to pursue that belief. That yes, God has called you for the long haul, so be free and take that next step. You'll be ministering with gray hair. You'll be ministering as an old man or an old woman, and, and you won't regret it. You will have grown in the character and the goodness of God, and God will have taken care of everything that is important for your existence. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. I hope, I hope um, I'm hoping that people who are, who've listened have heard and understand the heart of pastors so that, um, when they hear, maybe when they hear about that Barna report, which I've heard about a lot when I listen to podcasts, um, or they, they hear pastors make comments about like, this is so hard that they will understand that a bit more. And also know that they can, they can support that, that pastor in their life. They it's, it's that pastors will know that they have safe places they can seek out. Mm -hmm. Um, and a great, a great place to, to find that is social media. There are um, probably Facebook groups within your denomination that are, that come around supporting pastors in your denomination or in your focus. You, if you're a youth pastor, there are youth pastor groups, um, things like that to seek out 
support. And if you are listening and you're not a pastor, but you, you know, this has moved your heart to say, you know, like, I, I really feel like I want to show care to these people who are leading, leading the church and who are caring for, caring for me and caring for others. Um, you know, please reach out, ask someone if you can pray with them. Um, you know, and it might take them a minute to, to be vulnerable and to trust that they can talk to you, but just be patient with them and, um, be consistent in, in your encouragement. It's, it's, it's vitally important. The encouragement of our people and the encouragement of the church is something that pastors and church leaders are just hungry for. And, and in the absence of encouragement, um, I think that you see leaders and, and pastors become tempted to chase the statistics and chase validation through other means. And if we could just love our leaders by encouraging them, I think that is a huge way to improve the health of the church. Man, just ask them questions. You know, you say, well, I don't know what to say. Just ask questions and listen. How are you doing? And then ask questions. Hey, you told me you're st- struggling sleeping. How's that going? Yep. Uh, you do that. Be a safe person. You don't have to give advice. Just ask and listen and then ask again to see how it's going. That That, that is just life to people who are struggling. Yeah, I, it, it reminds me of the point, Doug, you made in the last show of, you know, online we dehumanize people, and so humanizing them changes the way that we interact online. Um, with pastoral, non-pastoral roles, a lot of the times it can feel like we're being dehumanized, and so to, to feel human and not just as this pastoral role often is the, the most loving thing you can do to your pastors, like, how can I give you an opportunity to be to be a person um, and to, to just take that title away for a second. But I want to talk to you, Hector, um, as a brother in the faith and as someone who has worth that doesn't, like you walking away encouraged doesn't diminish your worth because we sharpened one another. We were encouraging to one another. So I think uh, that just reminds me of that. But Sarah, you got anything else? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, Doug, thank you so much for, for your time here. I'm just so thankful for, for you. And in a lot of ways, I, I, I get it why people call you their social media pastor. You know, you pastored me from afar, whether, whether or not you knew it. Um, and I just thank you for, for who you are and the way that you approach ministry and the way that you approach social media. And the way that, like, I, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that the way that you um, want to not just see, but acknowledge the image of God in, in others. And so thank you for your time here. Um, I hope this isn't the last conversation that we'll have. I know it's not the last conversation we'll have um, outside of the, the podcast, but I hope that it, it's not the last one we have with you on the podcast. So. Well, thank you. You both are easy to love. And anyway, I can serve the vision God's put on your heart is my privilege. All right, well, we will see you guys next week. Uh, don't forget, we're, we're now part of the uh, Digital Church Podcast Network. 
the church digital podcaster. I'm going to get it right soon. Uh, you know, we're just going to create uh, the digital church so that we can be part of both. Um, but but seriously, the work that's <laughs> being done there on the church.digital is it's great. And uh, if you know someone who's doing pastoral online ministry and just needs um, needs encouragement, like we've talked about today, that's one of the reasons why this network was created was so that uh, people doing the online ministry didn't have to feel alone, didn't have to feel their ideas were in a vacuum and, uh, and could be encouraged by the work that is happening in the kingdom and online spaces. Um, so make sure to check that out. All the resources that we've talked about, including this article that, that we've continued to, to bring up will be in the show notes and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Pocket Pulpit. <laughs>